Hello America, this is your host, Mark Dunnigan. Welcome to another episode of The Daily Answer. Well, I want to take a look at the first psalm. And it just seems like that that psalm was composed as an introduction for the rest of the book. One writer said it certainly stands there as a faithful doorkeeper. Um, confronting those who would be in the congregation of the righteous and basically giving us the two basic choices that we have, whether become righteous or wicked, or as Jesus would note, are we going to enter the narrow way or are we going to enter the broad way? And so the psalm starts with how blessed is the man or happy is the man the joys of the man. And happy here is, it's deeper than some sort of superficial feeling good. It's, and it's not a mere feeling. It's someone who is truly with God and someone who is on the path that they need to be on. And so the man is blessed. And I don't know, sometimes there are Christians that can't see how blessed they are, but often unbelievers can see how blessed they are. And so it's God wants us to be something more than just this feeling, uh, this superficial sort of happiness. God wants us to have, well, God wants us to be right and right with him, but he wants us to have a deep-rooted joy. And so... A lot of people will say something like, well, God wouldn't want me to be unhappy. Well, God will allow things to come into your life that will not be easy and that will be painful. He is looking for something far more than just a superficial good feeling. He's looking for holiness. Now, if you'll note, the first thing the psalmist does is he will put it in the negative of Here's all the things that a man or this individual does not do. And so we will have this, these things of he's, he's not walking in the counsel of the wicked and he's not there. He's not in the path of sinners and he's not in the seat of scoffers. And for a moment, consider those three terms like counsel, path, seat. And those deal with the realms of thinking, behaving belonging. And they're like three degrees of departure from God and three degrees of becoming more and more conformed to the world, like accepting the world's advice and then being party to its ways. And then finally adopting the most dangerous attitude of all, the most spiritually dangerous attitude of all, that is becoming a scoffer, a cynic. And so when it says he does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, doesn't mean he's a hermit or an isolationist. In order to have impact upon the lost, we must interact with them. And so we're the salt and light. But the stress is that the righteous person does not adopt the sinful attitudes that are associated with lost people. He does not start thinking like them, and he does not take their ungodly advice. He doesn't start believing that 
somehow unbelievers have a better grasp of reality. His world view is not dictated by the world. The word counsel can also mean plan, principles. And so when it comes to running his business or raising his children or working on his marriage, he does not ever accept counsel that is contrary to godly principles. And man, that's a real temptation, especially when it comes to the counsel from the quote unquote secular professionals. This person always puts God's word, God's commands, God's counsel far ahead of any sort of secular professional advice. Okay. Now, as a result, he doesn't stand in the path of sinners. Uh, you got to make a choice here and everyone does. And so since he rejects the thinking of the world, he's not there in the mainstream. He's not there where everyone else is in that stream. You know, there's always been a number of people throughout history who want to do the right thing, but peer pressure and other factors keep them standing with the world. In John 12, 42 and 43, when those Jewish rulers refused to confess Christ, what they said is, we're going to stand with the world. And then it says, sit in the seat of scoffers. And you don't actually have to be literally sitting with them. All you have to do is just assume the attitude of the scoffer. Start spreading their lies. Start spreading their cynicism. Start spreading their unbelieving arguments. The scoffer is someone who mocks at God's existence, questions it, makes fun of it, or the Bible, or Jesus, or just biblical principles. And the seat of the scoffer may be very lofty in the sense of, you may find it in government circles, academia. The seat of the scoffer may be among pretty elite people, but it's also near the gate of hell at the same time. And you know what? It's so easy to sit in that seat because when your attitude's not right, you become cynical and you're bitter. And it's, you know, it's easy to be a backseat driver and start complaining about how God's running the universe. You know, a lot of times the attitude of the scoffer is, well, I don't agree with what the Bible says because I wouldn't do it that way. As if they're saying, I'm smarter than God. Now, the next phrase is, here's, here's why this individual rejects scoffing, cynicism, unbelief, worldly attitudes, worldly behavior. His delight is in God's law. Now, he's not self-righteous and doesn't view himself as better than other people. But what he loves, he loves God's law. Because God's law is simply a reflection of who God is. God's law simply reflects his own moral principles. It's his delight. It's like his chief desire. And it's not a burden, 1 John 5, 3. And, he, and, it, and it does, it's not depriving him or repressing him or hindering him. So this person really appreciates the beauty 
the morality, oh, the justice, the fairness, the mercy, the wisdom of God's law. He hungers and thirsts after righteousness, Matthew 5, 6. And he realizes that what God offers you can't find anywhere else. In the context, the law of God would stand opposed to the counsel of the wicked. Then it says, in that law, he meditates day and night. And he ponders it. He reads it. He studies it. He dwells upon it. He chews upon it. And he applies it to his, well, he would apply it to his own life first. And if there's some passages that he's not sure why would God would do that, he really tries to understand the thinking behind the passage. He's not a superficial thinker. He doesn't read a passage and say, well, that's not the way I would do it, and therefore rejects it. He's going like, yeah, maybe that is not the way I would do it, but I'm not God, and I'm limited and finite and fallible. So I'm going to try to see the wisdom behind why it's done that way. Yeah, he's humble. But then it says, and this sounds a lot like Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8, the godly person who delights in God's law is compared to a tree planted by streams of water, like by a river or like irrigation canals. A firmly planted, large, healthy, strong tree. Yeah, that's who you are as a Christian. It says this tree yields its fruit in its season, which to me is an image of quiet, continual growth. Second Peter 1, 5 through 11. And also, no matter what season of life this person's in, they're fruitful. Whether they're going through a period of prosperity or adversity, they're equally fruitful. Its leaf does not wither, speaking of adversity, because there are barren times in life. There's times, there's hard times, there's times of suffering, there's times of persecution, there's, there's the evil day of Ephesians chapter 6. And so here we have a picture that the righteous person doesn't merely survive. Also, they're not promised immunity from hardship. They go through periods of drought. But even during periods of drought, the godly person has access to a spiritual supply of water, while the rest of the world might be dying of thirst. So we have a relationship with God and we have wisdom from God in his word that enables us to work with suffering. We don't have to deny its existence, but we work with it. Or as Philippians 4.13 said, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And whatever he does, he prospers. This is not necessarily material prosperity, but it could include that. Because typically, whatever material prosperity comes to the Christian, it's a result of following wise, godly principles in business and in his own personal life and in his marriage and in his parenting. But this also includes things like his character, his marital happiness, happiness at home, his people skills, his personal integrity, his compassion. Yes, he is successful at his relationships. And so it's not like he's just continually up against trial and error and failure.
But how different is the end of the wicked? And notice there's only two groups here. You only have two options. There's no third category. Jeremiah compares the wicked to a bush in a wasteland that just dries up. And this psalmist, as this did Jesus and John the Baptist, they will compare the wicked to chaff. And man, that's strong language. Because what it reveals is that if you opt for, I mean, you're not born useless. Nobody's born useless. But if you opt for the counsel of the world, the advice of the world, the advice of the culture, the advice of pop culture, if you opt for that, the advice of unbelievers, people trying to figure things out without God, if you opt for the behavior of the world, and if you opt for the cynical, scoffing arguments of unbelievers, then you're pretty much going to end up useless, like chaff. Chaff has like no weight to it, and no use to it, and no benefit to it. You know, the reality are people of substance. They have weight. They have, they have character. They're useful. They're useful in any neighborhood. They're useful in every business. They're useful in any marriage. They're useful in every congregation. But when you're not right with God and you're not serving God and you're doing thinking things and doing things that are wicked, you're really not much use to anybody else or to yourself or to your family. You're just one more problem. Oh, they're a problem. You're just one more person who's falling apart that really can't help anybody else because you're falling apart. But then it says, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. And that may speak of the finally, final assembly of the righteous. The people left with God after the final judgment. And so if you're going to turn your back on God, you really need to seriously ponder. You're turning your back on love, community, fellowship, friendship, and life. You will miss out not only on the wonderful community here, you'll miss out on the ultimate community there. And so there definitely is at the end of a psalm, the parting of the ways those ways that never, ever meet again. It does say in verse 5 that the wicked will not stand in the judgment. That does not mean that they're immune from judgment because it's clear they are judged, Matthew 25, 31, and the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 10, and 11. But what it does mean is that at the judgment, they will not stand the test. They will not be able to hold up their heads high, they will not be able to fool God, and they will not be able to talk themselves out of that situation. That is, they, ha they won't have a leg to stand on, and among his people, they will have no place. And pretty final here. It, it, there, there's no indication at all from the psalm that, well, God might change his mind, or hey, you know, might not turn out too bad after all. It's very honest, it's very upfront, and we're not pulling any punches here. These are your two choices in life. Choose the right one. Nothing demands that you ever have to end up in the seat of scoffers. And if you're listening to this podcast, and right now you're like that, and your hands folded, and you're kind of bent out of shape, and you're just enduring to the end of this, 
that's something that you made yourself into. You weren't born that way. And the events of life did not make you that way. You chose that. And just remember that if you depart from God, you will end up in the seat of the scoffer. You might say, well, I'm going to depart from God, but I'm never going to become like a critic of God. Oh, yes, you will. Don't fool yourself. Sin will take you farther than you thought you'd ever go. Stay with God, my friend. Till next time, we'll see you in the funny papers.